I am the doctor, this is my section. Earth is under my protection. Planet of birth is Gallifrey. I've got two hearts, your life is safe. Run into the master raw messy. Come on, Alonzo. Alonzi. I am a time lord. No, I'm not rich. Twelve bodies are men. Now it's time for a switch. Don't look like that. I'm in great health. You were expecting someone else. Regeneration. Oh, such fun. When I say run, run, run. What's up, my boy? Peace and sanity. Sorry, I must dash. Reverse the Polarity. Sometimes I'm north, but always a limey, wibbly, wobbly, timey, wimey. Jump in the TARDIS, go for a ride, it's bigger on the inside. Exploring all of time and space, oh, what's that? Exterminate. Cyberman or Daleks, maybe? Would you like a jelly baby? Time's ticking, we'd best go, a new adventure. Geronimo! I am fantastic, so are you best come with me, I'm Doctor Who. Welcome to a brand new episode of D4WH. I am your host. Uh, I bring Sutex gift of this podcast to all humanity. I'm Adam O'Sullivan. Oh, thank you, Sutex. Thank you. That's all right. You are a giving god. Joined as always by my co-host. She's the Sutex of this podcast and therefore must be worshipped. It's Nakia Schutt. (laughs) Oh, that's right in line with my uh, Time Lord name, the Commander. For I must be worshipped and loved. Yes, Nakia. Yes, loved. of course, Nakia. Yes, And totally. I bring destruction in my footsteps. He brings destruction in, in, for, in footsteps. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, please welcome our guest. He comes to us from his own priest hole in a Victorian gothic folly. It's podcaster Jesse Jackson. Hello. Hello, Adam. Hello, Nikki. It is so great to be here in a timey-wimey episode. It is Saturday evening here in Dallas, Texas. It is Sunday morning there mm-hmm. in Brisbane. Yes, we are speaking to you from Brisbane, the future. Right? Brisbane. Yeah, Brisbane. 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 Well done. Fantastic. You're, Brisbane. Our, you're our favorite guest, <laughs> uh, American guest now because you can say Brisbane. Yes, you yeah. are now, you are Tell now the honorary. Masses. Tell the masses. Honorary Aussie. Yeah. Yeah, and we, we've just done a we've just done a, a episode of your podcast, uh, Set Lusting Bruce. Uh, it was a lot of fun. It was. I really enjoyed that. It was yeah. nice to talk about music for a change. Yeah, it was, we were just saying that uh, music was such an influence in my life that basically I just had that, like this big long list of bands, and I was like, oh, I want to mention this band, and I want to mention this band, and I used to like this band, and I listened to this band. I know. And my husband, who played in a big band, plays the sax, oh, wow. loves jazz music, and is very serious about his music. Picked one of my CDs up once when we were first married and went, Banana Rama. <laughs> <laughs> I went, Hey, I grew up in the 80s. Now, Jesse, I, I know we are uh, on your podcast. We, we went over how we got into, introduced to Doctor Who, but for our listeners, uh, what is your history with Doctor Who? I was, uh, I, I'm a big science fiction fan. I, I grew up watching Star Trek, you know, and Lost in Space and Time Tunnel and was uh, loved Isaac Asimov. You know, and Bray Bradbury. I'm so glad you liked Lost in Space. I never find anyone who liked it. It was so cool. It was. And so, but somehow or another, Doctor Who had just missed me. And I'd never, you know, seen it. And um, so I had a couple of friends who were huge Doctor Who fans. And I... I loved Firefly and, uh, you know, I, I discovered Buffy and I discovered Angel and I was watching mm-hmm. Firefly and I know now then, unfortunately, Josh Whedon is not, yeah. is, you know, you yeah. got to have to separate the 
content from the creator, but we'll move on. Yeah. So there, I was listening to a Firefly podcast and someone mentioned that Malcolm Reynolds and Captain Jack Harkness was the same character. And I went, sure. who's Captain Jack Harkness? What, what, who's Captain Jack? And so I went to my friend, Ken Schaefer, and I said, Ken, who's this Captain Jack? And he goes, oh, he's a character in Torchwood. I said, well, what's Torchwood? He goes, oh, well, it's kind of a spinoff of Doctor Who. I said, well, would you mind lending me the CDs? And he goes, no, no, not at all. Here, watch watch season one of Torchwood. So I watched it, and I really liked it. I liked it a lot. It was fun. It was. And, you know, and you know, and I, I can't believe they killed Susie again. And, you know, and so oh, all this yes. stuff. Said, you know, and you didn't know that Jack was immortal. And so there was all this nice things. So I finished the first season. I went back to Ken. I go, look, I really like Jack. Is there any way you can tell me what episodes to watch where he guest stars on Doctor Who? And Ken says, it's just easier to give you the first season. So he gave me <laughs> yeah. he gave me Eccleston's first season, and it was a Christmas afternoon, which is so appropriate now that we have the Christmas specials, right? But yeah. you know, mm. uh, we had we had you know we had done all our Christmas, we had done everything we'd done. This was like eight or nine o'clock on a Christmas. My wife had already gone to bed. My son had gone to bed. I'm like, well, I don't have anything to mm. watch. I'll just p- p- put in this first episode, and I watched it, and I went, "This is interesting." And this is interesting. So I went all through Eccleson, you know, then I started binging Tenets and all of a sudden I, I just adored the show. The more I got into it, the, in yeah. in the premise of he's the same character, but he's not, or yeah. she mm-hmm. isn't was fascinating mm-hmm. with me. So I ended up, Matt Smith was the first doctor that I watched every week. I didn't, wasn't binging. And then toward when Capaldi was going to join, I was already doing a little bit of podcast. The uh, Rob Southgate, who I just talked about was my um, next mm-hmm. stop everywhere uh, or my set listing, Bruce, you know, the owner of our network, you yeah. know, reached out to me and said, I want to do an, we want to do a Doctor Who podcast. Would you want to host it? And I said, yeah. So I went to a guy named Charles Skaggs, who's my other friend who loved Doctor Who. He lives in Columbus, Ohio. Obviously a very cool guy. <laughs> Absolutely. Davison is his doctor. And so we, we did Next Stop Everywhere, the Doctor Who podcast. And so we've been doing that for seven years. That's what awesome. we do is we, we, we cover all the new episodes when they come out. And then Charles picks a collection. And like sometimes he'll go, okay, we're going to do a, a first Doctor story, then a second Doctor story, then a third Doctor story, then a fourth. We go all in. We've had Torchwood months where we've like, okay, we're going to do like for the next four weeks, we're going to do a different episode of Torchwood. Uh, we've done uh, Brigadier months. And so. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And so we've, that's it. So since then, you know, I just love the Doctor. I, I you know, I'm. I think if you had to push me, Star Trek would still be because I grew up loving so. Kirk and Spock and I love Picard and, you know, and I love all the new series, but I adore Doctor Who and I'm just passionate about it. And so when we reached out and you guys, hey, would you want to swap episodes, kind of do mm, crossovers? Yeah. I said, absolutely. I'd love to talk Doctor Who anytime, any place. Yeah, awesome. So with your Star Trek, I'm curious, like I was, I didn't like, Kirk. I didn't yeah. like him. I thought he, he, he was too sleazy. Yeah. But I loved <laughs> Next Generation, Voyager, 
you know, everything that came out. How do you feel about the spinoffs that came out since? Yeah, so I love Deep Space Nine, and and even though Babylon 5 is one of my favorite series, and I know there's Deep Space Nine has a lot of similarities to Babylon 5, and there's the very obvious that, you know, JMS had pitched to Paramount, and then they ended up... I love Discover, Discovery. Yeah, it's good. My only worry with Picard, and this is just a personal... Patrick Stewart is old. And I, yeah. when I watch he, he, it he on really TV, is, I, I, I worry about his health at times. Like, I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> but I love the show. And then, you know what? Um, my wife just asked me. She goes, Star Trek's a cartoon now? And I go, it's a spinoff. It's a comedy. And I love uh, Lower Decks. I just think it's hilarious. You know, and so, yeah, I just, I, you know, I've loved the J.J. Abrams movies. I, I, you know, I love about oh, it. Yeah. You know, there was a time, you know, Nikki you know, Adam, where I, every time there was a new Star Trek paperback out, you know, I was buying it the same way. I'm sure a lot mm-hmm. of your audience, every time there was a new pocket Doctor Who, you know, paperback, yeah. they were buying it. So yeah, so I love it. I've got Doctor Who books up the wire. So I tell you, I was worried about in Picard when Seven of Nine turned up, who I'm quite hot for and mm-hmm. I'm straight. Yes. She's got, yes. And I thought Picard's going to have a heart attack because she's <laughs> hot. Well, it's, it's kind of like when, uh, when Big Finish posts pictures of Tom Baker and you know he's he's quite an old man now and and I don't know he he looks looks frailer than he than he used to and it's like I worry I worry about his health the same sort of thing I worry about his health but also it's like we need we need him to record as much as possible because you know we, yes. he's he's just you know we we want more uh, fourth doctor stories we want more you know stories with Tom Baker but then it's also like we don't want to overwork him because you know he is an old man he he should be allowed to enjoy his retirement as well but he is starting to like I love him don't get me wrong but he is starting to sound like an old man yeah, yeah. on the on the big finish ones as well yeah. no, not that that'll stop me but yeah no well and Charles and I routinely do big finish audios too in fact, the mm. the new Christopher Eccleston set is coming out, and so we'll probably in the next month or two yeah, cover that. Yeah, yeah, we're going to do that. So, yeah, I, I love it, and I'm excited about the classic episode we're talking about today. Yeah, me too. Uh, so our episode today is Pyramids of Mars. Pyramids? Pyramids, yeah. Our, ep- our episode today is Pyramids of Mars, Thank you. season 13, serial three, with four episodes starring Tom Baker as the fourth Doctor, directed by Paddy Russell and written by Lewis Griefer and Robert Holmes, but credited as Stephen Harris. Originally aired on the BBC Saturdays from October 25th to November 15th, 1975. We start as we always do with a short synopsis. The fourth Doctor and Sarah Jane are drawn to London, 1911. The ancient force of Tech the Destroyer is trying to free himself from the pyramids of Mars. The Doctor must stop him at all costs or Earth is lost. They will have to deal with possessed humans, mummy robots, sweaty bombs and puzzles and games galore. Nakia, did you watch the episode when when it came out in the 70s? Yes, I saw it when it came to Australian television, which was probably a couple of years later. Who knows? But I remember I watched it. I also recorded it, being aware that video recorders didn't exist then, so I'd get my little cassette tape and just tape the sound off my little mono speaker of the large piece of furniture television we yeah. had in those days. I mean, you, you might laugh, but if this, if this episode had have gone missing, you might have been sending that tape to the BBC exactly. as one of the only last recordings of it, you know. Exactly. I love this episode and I bought it in my – 20s 
And I wore it out and I bought it again the other day. So I love it. Love it. Yeah, same thing. In fact, I was thinking the exact same thought you were, Adam, that because of all the fans who did that, there are certain episodes that the only way we get them is through animation. And because fans had recorded the sound and they've been able to clean it up. Um, Yeah, this is an episode that Charles and I talked about a few years ago. So I immediately knew what it was and I rewatched it. I loved it. I'm going to get sentimental here, but you understand why Sarah Jane Smith is beloved by... yeah. All fans of Classic Who, just when Mm -hmm. you watch her on screen and when she returned in the modern season with Giles, right? You know, like a score reunion, I think is it. I had never heard of her, had not seen. And even then there was that presence and you're like, this is something a little special. And so watching her with Tom Baker, I loved seeing the story. It's a good story. It's a solid story. It's yeah. a story that holds up. It helps. It's only four parts. Yeah. Spoilers, you and I have similar ideas about sometimes about pacing. Take a <laughs> yeah. drink. I don't know if you guys have a drinking game, but for Next Stop Everywhere, <laughs> if you if I mention Bruce Springsteen, you take a drink. And if Jesse mentions pacing, uh, take a drink because I tend to always do that. Uh, yeah. I'm now going to add the cliffhanger, you know, that's going to do that because you're right. Like, you know, the forced cliffhangers, when you bring the episode back because you're binging it, you get the first three or four minutes again. You're like, okay, I just watched this with everything. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. This is a great episode. It's, it's, it's a, yeah. Good episode. It's it's an interesting premise and, and, a, and a fun villain. Yeah, I, I agree with you with that. And I, I would say that this is one of the ones that, I mean, there's a lot, but this is one of the ones that showcases how uh, well Elizabeth Slade and Tom Baker yeah. got on. Yeah. How, you know, she was really the first companion to take the piss out of him, which is what I love about it. And some of it's improv. When she puts a scarf over the head, she improved that stuff. Oh, okay. They did a lot of that stuff together. Yeah, it's it's quite it's quite interesting, you know, that she she ta- she stands up to the doctor when he says, you know, are you just going to stand there? And she goes, I'm not just standing here. I'm waiting for you to tell me what to do. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> other companions would have been like, oh yes, I'm so sorry, doctor. Oh. Well, what did you think? Yeah, I, I quite enjoyed it. I I do remember. Uh, it's it's interesting because a few years ago. Uh, you know, D4WH has been going on for almost three years. So a couple of years ago, we did an episode about the fourth doctor. And I remembered we had watched when, when we had our guests on, I, I hadn't seen any of the fourth doctor episodes. And so this episode was one of the episodes that they told us to watch to get a good idea of what the doctor is like. Mm. So I do remember it in, in that respect and, and how the doctor, at, you know, acts, uh, you know, he dresses up like the mummy. And, and when he's dressed up like the mummy, you can tell it's Tom Baker. The way he moves, you can tell it's Tom mm. Baker in that costume. It's a good thing Marcus is a dickhead, isn't it? <laughs> yes. But, you know, uh, you know, it's based on the, the old horror cliche of the mummy. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, it's quite interesting to, to bring that idea of the things that we have on Earth now are actually aliens that came to Earth. So yeah, yeah I, I enjoyed it, you know, and, and when you, when you consider that the show used to be on pretty much every single week throughout most of the year, uh, you know, there's a, there's a reason why soap operas, which are on every single day, aren't very good is because they have to keep churning out episodes day after day. Mm. Well, you know, the reason we get such good episodes now is because they have time to work on them, mm. not just slapdash something together like a week before it needs to go out. So, you, you know, with, with the classic episodes, I think you've got to look at it through a lens of, 
oh, okay, this was a different time period. They had they had slower, you know, it always amazes me that back when we only had four or five channels, they would put anything on and they were desperately just trying to fill space. Mm. And now we have hundreds of channels and it's like if you if your show doesn't do well within two episodes, it's like, nope, you're cancelled. Yeah, and you've got to remember that, well, you didn't see Lost in Space or Time Tunnel, but – the special effects. I mean, that's what every, everyone was sure. doing, that sort of crap. You know, that was the best you could come up with. Yeah. I mean, it was so obvious on Lost in Space, the rocks were styrofoam. But, <laughs> you know, you didn't you didn't say anything. You, know, you just went, yeah, that's what it is. You know, and the other thing I think that's really interesting, at least from my perspective, is I was at a, a convention and there was a segment, they did a breakout session of embracing classic who. And I was in the audience and as I tend to do, I tend to talk a lot, but I, you know, I, I raised my hand and I said, one of the things that I do is you have to understand most people when they drink their first beer or their first sip of wine don't like it. And they talk yeah. about you have True. to you have to develop your palate. You have to get to mm. enjoy that. I think the same is with classic who. I think because it's so different, and especially if you're I think you guys have a little bit better being, you know, Australian, but if you're, you know, I'm a sixty year old American that, you know, has spent most mm. of his life in either Louisiana or Texas. So <laughs> The dialogue, you know, listening to the accent, the cadence, the way, you know, like for the longest time, it was like, I'm confused by this tea thing. Oh, you know, finally, well, tea <laughs> could also mean dinner, Jesse. It could mean supper, yeah, you know? Yeah. yeah. I kind of feel the same way. Like when you pick up a Douglas Adams novel, yeah. the, yes. at first you have to get used to his style or else it just is off like a little cadence. And I think yeah. classic who is that way. And if you go in there, well, I'm not going to like it because it doesn't have good special effects or there's cheesiness. Mm. Well, then just, okay, go watch something mm. else. Go watch, you know, next job. You go see Star Trek Next Generation for the 80th mm. time, you know, yeah. uh, an episode. But if you're not, go enjoy this. And And there are, I will be candid, there are sometimes classic episodes that I tell Charles, I did not like this episode. I don't oh, think yeah. it was oh, yeah. good, you know. I have those too. I, this is a good one, and I think that is part of it, as you guys are saying. You have to just... You have to put your mind and get your visual palette ready for this kind of storytelling. It's interesting because we just did a couple of episodes with two two-parters from the classics, so the King's Demons and oh, the Sontaran Experiment. And so I thought, oh, if there are only two episodes. They'll be, you know, nice and short. You know, they'll be able to get to the story. There won't be much padding. The King's Demons, oh, my God, is basically all padding. They had a castle somewhere, and it, it's it's not it's not a great Worst. episode. It is terrible episode, and it's only two episodes. Mm. And, that you know, they still couldn't get it right. And then, But then four-part episodes, you know, there's a lot of story there. And I, I like I like what the, the BBC has been doing at the moment. I wish they continue doing it, where they edit the classic episodes down to like 40 45 minutes and then put it up on their face on their youtube page mm. um they've done four or five episodes at the moment i wish they keep doing that because i think there is a lot of benefit in taking those old episodes where they did have a lot of padding in there as uh, take a drink uh, did have a lot of padding mm-hmm. and then cutting all that padding out for a modern audience like just get to the point get to the story get rid of the filler and, and just get to it you know yeah i mean I guess maybe I, I would miss the terrible cliffhanger and the, mm. you know, three minutes of redoing the story on the way, but that's because it's sentimentality. I yeah. have childhood memories of, of doing it that way. But yeah, and I guess I was, it's interesting that Jesse says that, 
you know, you've got to get used to what's tea and it, it never really yeah. occurred to me. But because we were, especially at my age, we were brought up on British television. Right. I only saw American television probably in the 80s. Mm. So I was brought up on British television and we're much culturally closer in ways, you know, with tea and what's this and what's that. So, yeah, I never thought about that difficulty. So when I grew up, there was a thing called, and I don't know if they do that anymore, but the Reader's Digest condensed books where you would get three or four novels mm. that they condensed. They would take out parts of it and you would do, you would get just the bare bones of the story. And then yeah. if you liked that condensed book, you would often lead you to go to the actual book. So it's not a bad idea to do some condensed Doctor Who episodes to say, mm. let me give you a sense of this story. This last week, uh, we talked The Runaway Bride and which is a oh. modern and i had to come back and throw myself on the altar of forgiveness when donna first appeared i had never seen a companion like that right like i'd had yeah. i'd had rose mm-hmm. i had martha and mm-hmm. all of a sudden this donna and she's she's <laughs> brash and she's yes. and, yeah. she, and she's and you know and like and she's funny and I don't like I you know and and so I hated Donna for the longest time I thought she was the worst companion then as we started going back and watching modern who with Donna episodes I went that's interesting what she's doing and I really began to appreciate her as an actress and as a character and then I was lucky enough to meet her at Dragon Con one year and she was just oh, lovely wow. in person. So so I've now become a Donna fan and I understand that she's in a lot of ways like a classic companion, right? Yes. That because because Rose and companions used to never be in love with the doctor, right? Nope. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess maybe if we wanted to do some seedy underbelly X-rated <laughs> fan fiction, we might talk about what happens in the TARDIS after dark. And I read once that the second doctor and Jamie probably have had this torrid love affair. <laughs> they were in love. Love. Which is wrong in so many ways, but at the same time, kind of cool. But, you know, we just watched The Ark two weeks before that, which was a oh. First Doctor episode, not The Ark of Space, The Ark. Yeah. So. And it was oh, only okay. t- it was only two episodes, and it was really no padding. It was a oh, really, wow. really great classic episode, so you might check that we'll out. have to do that one. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. A really, we, that's a that's really what we were hoping for uh, for The King's Demons, but, yeah, it's just, yeah. you know. See, I always think Tegan was the forerunner of the Donna character. Yes, for oh, sure. I can see that. Yeah, like Sarah likes the Doctor, but she still, you know, put shit on him, whereas yeah. Tegan was like, oh, you're not even impressing me. Yeah, Donna and when, whenever it. we watch an episode with Sarah Jane, I'm always reminded of how she acts like, like you could tell me Sarah Jane is anywhere between 18 to probably late 30s, mm. and I would, I would go, yeah, okay, because she's got that – She's got that still childlike, you know, wonder of an early, early teen, late teens, you know, early twenties. But then she's also quite serious. She can be quite serious and down to earth. And like, she's got that maturity of someone who's older, you know, mm. so. And it, I think that that works really well with with the companion, and yeah, it, it's always it's always strange going to another companion where they just follow the doctor around, and it's like, oh, because you know, like like you say, Sarah Jane really set the template mm. for modern companions being on par with the doctor, not just following him around mm. or following them around. You know, yeah, I love that line when they're dealing with the dynamite, 
And the doctor says, I wonder, I wonder what happened to the gamekeeper. And, and she goes, well, maybe he sneezed. Yes, I yeah. just love that line every time because he's going, if you even sneeze. <laughs> Egypt, 1911. Marcus Scarman leads an expedition into an underground tomb. The eye of Horus lights up, scaring the locals, but Professor Scarman is unperturbed. You know, I've got to tell you, if I was doing an archaeological dig and, and uh, an eye lit up, yes. I'd probably piss off as well, by <laughs> yeah, the way. Yeah. <laughs> he enters a secret room and is hit by a bright green light. Is this, this, is this secret room supposed to be on Mars? I've never really understood it's like a tunnel to Mars. I, I yeah. don't know. I mean, you know, who knows what Horace was thinking? A transdimensional yeah. passageway or something, but yes. Mm. Sure. Not only did Horace have this passageway to the period of Mars, but we find out later that apparently uh, Horace allowed Sutek to be buried with all of the, the parts for a war missile. Well, why not? Why not? I mean, he's got nothing better to do. Look, if he finds a way to get out, <laughs> we might as well give him the ability to get out of his, uh, his, his prison. I just can't believe he's been caught there paralysed. And his muscles haven't atrophied in any way, <laughs> shape, or form. Good to be a god. He doesn't stand up and go, oh, my butt is so very <laughs> sore. Oh, pins and needles, pins and needles. <laughs> in the TARDIS, Sarah Jane Smith has found a dress left behind by Victoria Waterfield, one of the second Doctor's companions. Now, can I tell you yeah. that as a kid and a Doctor Who fan, mm. I was so excited that they mentioned a previous companion sure. because – uh, it was a world where once you left the TARDIS, that was it. You didn't exist anymore. Mm. I was so excited that that they mentioned her, and I loved her dress. I actually, I actually thought uh, it was just like a random person that wasn't an actual companion. I, I when I looked into it, and they were like, "Oh no, it's an actual companion." I was like, "Oh, cool." She did a lot of screaming and a lot <laughs> of crying and fainting, and wore a lot of old timey dresses. Apparently, obviously. I also love that because one on my wish list, and I can't think of it, I'm going to draw a blank up for her name, The from Game of Thrones, the one who played the wildling that was, you know nothing, John Oh, Stowe. yeah, Rose, Rose Leslie. Yeah, yeah. I've, oh, always yes. said, yeah, yeah. I've always said that I wish she would come as Jamie's granddaughter and Ooh. that, you know, and have her in a modern episode – and then, you know, that she could play Jamie's granddaughter, because I think that would be fun to tie, because we often talk about, and Charles is a writer, so he actually does more of this. I am not someone, but I would love to see a web series of ex-companion support group. Oh, oh yeah. totally, yeah. They're all around a gym, you know, with chairs, with, you know, stale coffee going, well, when I traveled with the doctor, let me yes. tell you, you know? Yeah, is is it going to be a competition or is it going to be like uh, PTSD? They're all sitting around yeah, I think they all just all smoking share their cigarettes. Stories, and- yeah. <laughs> I think a little bit of both. I think it would be both. They would have that. I do. Yes. Oh, and they, they'd had the one episode where they just all find out that they've all met the Daleks. Well, when I met the Daleks, oh, wait, we've all met the Daleks? Oh, yeah, it's every season. There's the bloody Daleks keep turning up. Don't know why. We keep beating them. <laughs> you know, I was just thinking and going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And don't you hate it when he's like, oh, it's bigger in the inside. Yes, we know, Doctor. <laughs> yeah, Let it yeah, go. Yeah. Well, he does it in this episode when Lawrence goes yes, into the he TARDIS. He's like, you're going to say it's bigger on the end, basically. You know. He's so excited, yes, he does. isn't he? Yeah. Yes. Oh, you want to look around? There's that weird thing where he's like hunched down and he's like, this is like something from that Wells chap, isn't it? <laughs> 
Oh, he's pretty. He's pretty uh, sprightly, considering his brother looks like death. <laughs> but anyway, his brother is a vo- officially dead. Yeah. I honestly think that if the doctor, because the doctor is like has all these like vague things where he's like, oh, you know, he's not a not there anymore. I think he just says to Lawrence, "Your brother's dead. The body is possessed by Sutek." You know, he would understand a lot better than... It's just a meat bag now, Just Lawrence. a meat bag being walked around by Sutek, baby. i tell you what else this episode taught me as a kid. The word obtuse. Obtuse. I didn't know the word. I would have been, I don't know, in a primary school. I went and looked it up. And then I then I had to overuse obtuse <laughs> all the time. Well, you are obtuse, aren't you? Oh, you, you too. The relative continuum stabilizer on the TARDIS fails. Sarah Jane sees a jackal face and the doctor surmises that a strong mental projection has forced them to land. They have landed on the location of Unit HQ, but in the wrong time period. It is currently a priory belonging to Marcus Scarman. And as I said, when she does the scarf over the head and goes, I knew you were a time lord, that was all that Ah, I see, right. That was her mucking around. He goes, I'm a time lord. I knew you were a time lord, baby. <laughs> Even though it was probably only a couple of years ago that they mentioned, first mentioned the word time lord. Yeah, and I don't think... That I knew that the uh, headquarters of unit was at an old priory, so there you go. Oh, there you go. Before that. They are found by the butler Collins, who warns them that the house is now under the instructions of Ibrahim Namin, an Egyptian man apparently working under the orders of Professor Marcus. Now, how about this? Yes. Not everybody is white and male. (laughs) (laughs) As but they they have to be be a baddie, yeah, they have to be a baddie. Oh well. Dr. Warlock. Professor Scarman's oldest friend confronts Ibrahim. They are disturbed by a scream and find Collins dead. The distraction also allows the Hoobie gang to enter the house again through another window. Very interesting. Did anyone else notice anything weird about Professor Scarman besides being like a dead meat bag walking around possessed? Oh, he's like bright white. Yeah. No, it's it's his tie. They must have done oh, it out of sequence and his stripes keep going different ways <laughs> when he's putting it on. It's really distracting once you notice it. It drove me nuts. I now need to go back and see that. I did see the kind of zombie-looking eyes and like, oh, yeah, so yeah. He plays the role well. It was, yeah, oh, he, does, he does a good job. It was either zombie eyes or, to me, like the red bags under his eyes was like, have you been having a bit of cry, mate? Oh, or maybe they've all been out because Tom liked the Terps. Maybe they've all been oh, out on go. the Terps. Uh, Naman starts chanting about higher powers and Warlock takes it into his stride until Ibrahim pulls out a gun. If someone started chanting about, mm. you know, this weird god that I haven't heard about, I'd be like, are you all right? Mm. I, I might I might just sort of backtrack to the door and yeah, get yeah. the hell out of there. The doctor intervenes, but Warlock is shot as they make their escape. Warlock urges them to go on without him, but the Doctor picks him up like a sack of potatoes and they continue on. It's quite a violent little episode, isn't it? Yeah. Get shot. And you know, you know the baddie who's not white in mm. this episode is going to die fairly quickly. Sure. But uh, my, my thing is, like, you see Tom Baker pick up the, the actor who plays uh, Warlock, and I remember I, I was thinking as I was watching it, I was like, this is the 70s. That probably is Tom Baker just picking up the yeah. actor. They yeah. probably just said, just pick him up and take him with you. And he just did it. Yeah. These days there would be stunt people, there would be insurances, you know, but back then they were just like, can you just pick him up and take him with you? Yeah, sure, don't worry about it. Sure, whatever. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly, yes. 
Yeah, that's great. As he runs down, out my back. <laughs> yeah, the the lead of a TV show, probably, you know, he has hurt himself in the course of doing this show. So. Yeah, and I don't think they had a safety officer, but if they did, he was probably having a smoke and a drink around the back. <laughs> He's like, well, if Tom wants to do it, that's fine. Yeah, all right with me. I wonder if the doctor saw Ibrahim Namin in his fez and thought, I should probably get one of those for myself at some point. He did eventually. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Namin and Mummy are called back to the house and Sarah Jane brings Lawrence Scarman, Marcus's brother, to get Warlock to safety. Sarah Jane says she saw a walking mummy and the doctor, who has literally just seen the same thing, thinks that she's making it up. Oh, God, that's annoying. He saw the mummy. It's so much in the classics. That's, you know, as you go, oh, I saw something weird. Oh, no, you didn't. It's Doctor Who. And you go on, you're yeah, always seeing yeah. weird stuff. I hate that. <laughs> At Lawrence's cottage, Warlock's shoulder gunshot is fixed by putting his arm in a sling. <laughs> that <laughs> no works. bandages or anything. Don't be obtuse, man. The doctor notices Scarman's Marconi scope, a primitive radio telescope 40 years too early. They turn it on, but it blows up. Having, bro- having broken the scientific instrument, the doctor pulls out his pocket version to show off. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> He's such a show. Yeah. So there's one of the scenes where on The Runaway Bride where the doctor brings out the device and, you know, he has that great line, you know what I have, Donna? I have pockets. Uh, Because she had (laughs) talked about her wedding dress did not have pockets. And uh, Charles wrote up the fact that the fourth doctor would always talk about his pockets were bigger in the inside. That, you know, he had the TARDIS pockets in there. And so I thought of that when him bringing that out. That reminded me of that, you know, that discussion. I love that. (laughs) We watched an episode where Harry's still with them, Harry and Sarah. And the doctor says, never throw anything away. And then he's trying to find something. He goes, don't keep too much in your pockets. So it's, <laughs> it's really quite because he's shoving everything in there. The Hooby gang realize there is a message being broadcast from Mars, which translates as beware Sutek. They rush to the house where they find Ibrahim playing the organ to summon a figure dressed as a leather vampire with a condom head. <laughs> That's what it looked like to me. Uh, I feel sorry for the guys in the dress. I'm going, this thing looks like a condom. Don't put a cape on it. It'll be okay. It's obviously the same head as the mummies, though. Uh, Well, I was thinking of we just finished watching the latest season of The Good Fight, which is the uh, the U.S. show that's on Paramount, and it is the spinoff of The Good Wife. There, uh, and Jane Lynch is playing an FBI agent, and you know, and I can't remember the character's name, but she would like you know, blank blank FBI agent, and her husband made her a dun dun dum, you know, um, sound effect <laughs> that she played on her phone. So I'm thinking this one, we, you know, our our hero, our villain is having his own like soundtrack. He is playing this yes, own soundtrack, yes. which was just just deliciously silly <laughs> yet also great. But yeah. there's something really gothic and horror about pipe organs. Yeah, I think. Well, yeah. Sometimes if you go into church and they're playing that, and I go, "Oh, that's a bit." And my, I took my niece once. Now playing the pipe organ, she went, "Why do they play Dracula music in church?" <laughs> I like the idea that um, Abraham got to the house and he's like, all right, I must set up everything for Sutek. Ooh, pipe organ. (laughs) Do you think he started out with chopsticks and worked his way up? (laughs) Well, and you mentioned this in our previous episode. We're 40 minutes into it, so we haven't 
done that too often. And my worry was we would go, well, well you know, when we just talked about it. But mm-hmm. one of the things you asked for, Nikki, right, is that when we get future, whoever's the new doctor and the new, we have just a little bit of that touch of horror, that creepiness. Mm. Yeah. And, mm. and, and my partner in time, Charles, talks about all the time that he thinks Doctor Who is its best if it just has a little bit of that creepiness factor that yeah, little yeah. bit that you're hiding behind the couch there's he said you know there's something about you know it's it, mm. it's it's at night you've got your favorite beverage and a bowl of popcorn and it's just a mm. little bit scary and yeah. this yeah. episode did with that gothic music and everything it it has that just that taste of it that it's not a full-fledged horror show and it's you no. know and then there's certainly not the gore thing that modern horror films do but it's just a little bit creepy and a little bit fun and and i agree that is when the doctor i love funny episodes and i do over the things mm. but that's a great great thing when they do that yeah, yeah. i mean there's still a lot of yeah. there's still a humor in this episode you know mostly from from tom baker but um i, I always say that the reason i don't get into modern horror, horror films is because they rely too much on like jump scares where it's like something jumps up in front of the the screen loud music plays and of course you're gonna jump because you, you know you got two things happening mm. at once for me i i like things like silent hill where it's like this creeping horror that comes in and and you know you, you've got mist you can't see the monsters so yeah i really i really do like the the pipe organ it it seems quite strange that he's you know in there playing the pipe organ but it works really well you know yeah i i think it does and and i agree you need a little bit of horror because you need to be a little bit scared but i know that as it got darker and darker in tom baker's era mary white in the Mm. uk was trying to get it closed down because it was dark and it was but she was also trying to ban anything with sex in it (laughs) you know she was a bit uptight the old mary surrounded by three of the mummy robots namin offers himself as a follower of sutek but is killed by the figure who states that sutek doesn't need more than one servant you know I've never got this. I've never, ever gotten this. Yeah. I'm sorry for anyone who's a Satanist out there, but I don't understand being a Satanist because he's evil. So he's going to double cross you. Kill you. I mean, why would you say, I'm going to serve you? I'm probably going to kill you. Okay. Well, I, I reckon, why, why kill him? You know, or, use as many hands as you can, you know. Oh, have, have two people around instead of one. Like, Ibrahim does say that his family has been following Sutek since the beginning. I don't know how, considering that Sutek's pyramid has only just been discovered. Well, maybe the, the – but I just anyone called death – Evil, I, I'm yeah. not destroyer. Really, I'm not going to follow them. You know, like I said, this is a god. This is a a god who's going to be nice to you. That's him. I'm taking him. I think they're thinking that he, they'll destroy everybody but you because yes. you're the one helping them. No, they'll destroy you too. Well, I think about this often, and and I tell this story in our own podcast. I was born in 1959, so you know I'm I'm currently 62, and one of the things I watched was Rocky and Bullbingle. Oh, I love that. Yes, and there is a great scene where Bullwinkle goes, Hey, Rocky, want me to pull a rabbit out of my hat? And Rocky always says, This trick never works. And I always <laughs> think of that anytime the human is going to make a deal with a Cyberman, yeah. an alien, a Vodalic. It's like, I always in my mind, I hear, and I'm trying to think of who did the voice of uh, Rocky the Squirrel, Judy, I believe her name. But anyway, I just hear Rocky going, this trick never works. And I just, exactly. You're like, why, why would you think this is going to work out for you? <laughs> uh, I used to love Rocky and Bullwinkle. And uh, 
where I met a, uh, had a Russian friend who told me that Nakia in Russia would be Nishkia. And uh, mm-hmm. my husband's name's David. And I thought, my God, you know, Nishkia Davo. Yeah. So I should have married Victor and we could have been baddies Nishkira on Rocky and, and Bullwinkle. Yes. Nishkia. Norse and the, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Boris yeah. and Natasha. Yes. <laughs> Natasha. Beautiful. Nishkia. Uh, the figure clad in black transforms into Professor Scalman. The Hubi gang hides. The Scalman and the mummies pick up Egyptian urns to scatter around the property, setting up a deflection field. Why does he pick Scalman? I mean, this other yeah. guy, his whole family's been dedicated, and he can play the organ. I mean, you know, there's some toe tapping music for for Sutek later. Yeah, I don't know. I, I assume it's because Scalman has that massive house. Well, it wasn't around at the beginning. Yeah, you could you could have just set up the missile anywhere. Yeah. Well, maybe you're right. Have two, but yeah. Well, but I, maybe if they set up in Egypt, tourists would keep coming over to look at it, and it's like, ugh, oh. go away. Come and look alone. at the dead guy. <laughs> He's still walking. Now, is this creature actually Professor Scarman, or does he just look like Scarman? Warlock and Lawrence both act as if the figure is actually Scarman, but then why would the figure start off dressed in black? Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, look, if it looked like you, mm. I would think it was you. It would take a while to convince me if you're walking around saying, uh, you know, uh, Adam's yeah. not there anymore. Looks like him. <laughs> like later on they want to go with the whole idea of, oh, he could, maybe he could turn back. Maybe maybe he could be Scarman Maybe he's again. in there somewhere. And, and we and we know why it's dressed in black. It's so they can have the cliffhanger with the, yeah. the man in black killing mm-hmm. uh, Abraham and then he turns into, but it doesn't make sense story-wise, you know. Uh, not really, but, you know. Don't be picky. Okay, all right, sure. It's a small thing. Hey, the guy's stripes on his tie kept moving and I got on with it. <laughs> uh, it turns out that ancient Egyptian culture is based on the alien race of Osirens. Sutek destroyed their home planet and was cornered on Earth by Horus and the remaining Osirens imprisoned on Mars for all eternity. So it turns out aliens did build the pyramids. I knew they did. I knew it. We didn't go to the moon and we all come from aliens. Sure. And what other shit there is out there? Australia doesn't exist. The moon is an egg. Australia doesn't exist. That's right. We're all actors down here. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, yeah, that uh, there's a tracking in our COVID-19 vaccines, right? There's a tracking, I think, yes. My my favourite thing about that is the the fact that um, 5G, the telecom companies here in Australia, when you look at their little roadmap of where they're putting in 5G, where I live, there is no plan for the next five years. Like, it's so far out of the way that they don't have a plan for 5G. Yet somehow they've all managed to get together and be like, oh, let's just inject it into everybody. Yeah. Like they've managed to get so good at producing it that they can put it into, but not put up towers so that everyone can have 5G, you know. Well, I would just like to say whoever's tracking me, well, have fun. <laughs> so- oh, here's Nakia, walk to the mailbox and back. Walk to the mailbox and back. Walk to the mailbox and back. Yeah. Knock yourself out. Yeah, the- and I promise I will not get political much, but right. <laughs> the people that are complaining about are the same ones who put their whole effing life on Facebook, you know, yes. and, and, you know, yes. and Instagram and like, oh, do you think we need a, anything to follow you? You were sharing your whole GD life on social media. Trust me, we know about you. Yeah. And also how exciting are they that they have to be tracked? Yes. One of my favorite posts was uh, a post saying, I don't want the government to track me, says people who post using a device that has a map of everywhere yeah. that they go. <laughs> 
always makes me laugh. Okay. <laughs> uh, the doctor opens a time-space tunnel found in the sarcophagus, but disrupts it with a TARDIS key. The resulting energy blast knocks him unconscious, so Lawrence sticks the doctor in his priest hole. Yeah, how did he get him in there? They drag him. They probably really dragged no, him. No, that would have really been Tom Baker. He got <laughs> splinters on his ass all yeah, the way yeah. there. <laughs> Meanwhile, a poacher checks his traps and finds one of them has caught a mummy. I love that when he's like just slamming it down on the ground. Yeah. I got a mummy. He tries to escape but finds himself caught in the deflection field. This serial once again has some great invisible force field miming. Yes, it uh they all went to mime school. Yeah. They were all caught in a box or a wind tunnel. <laughs> yeah. I love I love that it's like we're not going to have special effects. It's just going to be invisible. So just pretend it's there. Hey, they did have some great special effects with the three wires that held the TARDIS key. <laughs> That my goodness. Great. That was fantastic. Amazing. Looks Whoa. like one of my short films. It did remind me of that episode uh, in the first season with Eccleston where they pulled the TARDIS key out of Adam's pocket. Oh, yeah. And, you know, they yeah. are very obviously have wires as well. So it's it's that was a callback to this episode. Oh, uh, well, that's good. They did a little bit of a callback. They weren't just doing shitty CGI. No, no, good of on. course not. Good yeah. on. Oh, I, actually, the bit that I did like is where the poacher throws the stick and it bounces back. Oh, yeah. That actually looked real. Mm. Yes, yeah, so I don't know what he threw the stick against, but it looked like it actually bounced off something. Trampoline. Someone's holding a trampoline <laughs> in the background. <laughs> Uh, Warlock is resting nicely from his gunshot wound. Professor Scarman arrives and finds out about the Doctor and Sarah Jane. He orders his mummy to kill Warlock. I know. I I got attached. I liked this. I mean, everyone dies. It's really, that's why it's quite (laughs) gothic and dark or horror. But I liked Warlock and I liked Lawrence. You know, I got quite attached to them, whereas sometimes you know, they just kill everybody off and you're like, eh, I didn't really care. So Yeah. I it, remi- it, it reminds me of Red Dwarf. Everyone's dead, Dave. Everyone's dead. He's dead. Everyone's dead. Oh yeah. <laughs> Red Dwarf. <laughs> what about Fred? He's, He's dead, dead, Dave. Too, Dave. Everyone's, Everyone's dead. dead. Everyone's dead. <laughs> Marcus returns, but before he can find the priest hole, the poacher takes a shot at him. The back I, I love that shot where it has the, oh. the smoke and it goes back in to uh, Marcus, yeah, and then he walks, and then they keep filming. So obviously he would have started the window, walked backwards, and then the squib would have gone off. Yeah, I know, but he's still got like a bullet hole in the back of his jacket. No, no, he doesn't. The next scene you see, he walks past, and he's oh. he doesn't have the bullet hole in. So oh, I was I wondering if they might have filmed that scene last because then you know, or they had just multiple jackets. <laughs> Which way was his tie on? That matter, just pop it on. <laughs> Put a cape on him. No one will notice. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. The Hoobie gang locate the body of Ibrahim and nick his ring. Uh, hearing Scarman return, the Doctor and Sarah usher Lawrence into the TARDIS. Oh, I love that. Yeah. yeah. Sarah Jane wants to return to 1980 because she knows that Sutek didn't take over the world in 1911. The Doctor takes her to 1980, but they only find a desolate wasteland, an alternative point in time. And does she really know where he took her? He could have taken her to somewhere (laughs) that is just a bit desolate and gone, here you go, Sarah, whereas, you know, everything's rocking, you know, 2,000 mile that way. Yeah. But I suppose this is one of the first times that they've really shown that if they don't do something, it's going to change the future. Oh, yeah, and you have to have that because why Why bother? Yeah, what are, what are the stakes if you know that Sarah Jane came? But I also thought, shouldn't Sarah Jane be disappearing like in uh, Back uh, to the Future? Yeah, you know? look, you're too Marty McFly for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of our favourite lines is, time cannot be rewritten except when it can be rewritten. 
Yes, yes. on the writer's choice, right? Yes, yes, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yes, that's right. If if Scarman had been a companion, they could have saved him. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, I thought that was a nice scene, and Tom Baker played it greatly. Right. Well, let's just go see what happens, and then when you're going that, they don't use the word timey wimey. Right, but that yeah. is a very good example of Doctor Who embracing the whole timey wimey of space and how things can change yeah. and how we do that. So I really like that scene and I liked that kind of wrinkle that they were showing. I guess the wrinkle in time, pardon the pun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I like it because it, it kind of it does show how much respect he, the doctor has for Sarah Jane because much like the doctor wouldn't just believe something that someone told him he knows that Sarah Jane isn't just going to believe him if he tells her mm. we can't we have to do this so he just takes her to 1980 and goes this see this is what it's going to be like and then he goes he, he says what should we do and Sarah Jane goes we have to go back you know so he gets her to make the decision yeah. we have to go back to 1911 and I think that's really an empowering thing. Yeah. Um, and it does show the equality and, and she is the roadmap for future companions, I think, or the template, as you said, Jesse. I absolutely agree with that. I also had the little bit of the because you can't unhear Jack on loss. We have to go back. We have to go back. I also <laughs> <heard that. laughs> back in 1911, the poacher is hugged to death by the mummies. <laughs> <laughs> that is the weirdest death, don't you think? Yeah, they just hug. They hug him. They're like, we want to give you a hug. Oh, no, we killed him. Oh, that's like with little kids with kittens. I love it too. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. It's dead. The poacher is a kitten. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We will love him and pet him. Again, call him George. <laughs> Lawrence shoots them, so they chase him. The doctor hooks up Naman's ring to the Mar- Marconi scope, but Lawrence tries to stop them turning it on and deactivating Sutek's power over Scarman's body. Oh, what God. a dummy. Dummy, 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 Lawrence. The mummies enter the cottage because apparently the front door doesn't have a lock. <laughs> I don't know why they don't lock the door. Of course it does. There's mummies out there. You gotta lock the door. No, <laughs> no, no, leave no, it no. open. One mummy attacks Sarah Jane but hits the Marconi scope again, deactivating both in the process. Sarah Jane uses the ring to send the remaining money mummy back to control, a very useful power that is never used again. No, but good on you, Sarah, for knowing that. Well, the doctor calls out, Go back to control. Go. Oh, and she goes, Oh, go back to control. So the mummies are much more obedient than my young. Dog. Oh, do you have the correct <laughs> ring for your dog? Because <laughs> I say to her, come, 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 come. Stop, <sighs> stop jumping on me. Stop jumping on me. Yeah, yeah. Stop sit, trying to sit, hug sit. me. <laughs> the doctor and Sarah Jane explore the grounds and find a paper pyramid, which is apparently an Osiran war missile. <laughs> it is, you know, you want to have a big ass missile. Yeah. Do you really want it to be that big? <laughs> I mean, people are going to notice, aren't they? I'm just going to pop a marquee up. <laughs> I would have loved to have seen the special effects of that paper pyramid, like, flying into space. <laughs> do, 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 do. Well, we're not saying they're overcompensating for anything, like a guy <laughs> oh, buying a Corvette, but, yes, yeah. <laughs> there, there is that thought. Yeah, then they just don't look aerodynamic. But anyway, that's it. Yeah, don't don't show Sutek the Great Pyramids of Egypt because then it'd be like, oh, no, mine is way smaller. No, and it's paper and matchsticks. The Doctor proposes travelling to Egypt in the time-space tunnel and stopping the machine that allows Sutek to control everything from Mars. Instead of going with that reasonable plan, yeah. they go with Lawrence's plan to find the poacher's ha- hut outside of the barrier in the hopes that he might have some explosives to blow up the rocket. 
Wait, why? Why? <laughs> I know that they want another location, but it's like, I hope that he has all this stuff. Also, we need to get outside the barrier. I know, but Lawrence is a dickhead. Yeah. I'd have to say, it. the doctor says, we'll do this plan, and mm. then you say, we'll do this one. I go, shut up, Adam, we're doing the doctor's <laughs> plan. But the doctor abandons his plan really quickly. He's like, all right, well, we're going to do that then instead. Whatever. Whatever. I like dynamite. I'll get in there. So, wait, the Poacher has built himself a hut in the woods that he poaches from. Yes, they'll never find him in his hut. (laughs) Wouldn't that make it really easy to find his poaching spoils and arrest him? (laughs) Where's that poacher? Not in the poacher's hut. It's kind of like building a safe in the car park of the bank you're about to rob. And it is kind of, that is a little weird that he's this character this that's just kind of floating out there. But yes, it is not a, it's not the best plan. Let's just put it that way. No. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, he would have got transported. Were they, were they still transporting in that time? When they chuffed him off to Australia if he got caught poaching? Oh, sure. Or did they no. just kill you? I don't think by the 70s they were still sending people to Australia. No, I know. I'm talking about the, where oh, it's Oh, 1911. Set. Sure, oh, sure. Yes, we weren't transporting people in the 70s. I don't, I don't think they were still doing it in the, 90, in, the, in the 20th century, though. I think by the, the 20th century it was like, do it. Oh, well, I, oh, maybe. Actually, maybe. I don't know. I mean, I'm still pissed off that my ancestors got chucked over here for stealing someone's hanky. Yeah, well, I mean, the, A con- hanky. the Constitution was only uh, put into effect in in 1900. 1900. So yeah. I was going to say by the 70s, people were trying to get over to Australia for a holiday. Yeah. <laughs> so they would have been like stealing <laughs> loaves of bread all over the place. Yeah. I got a hanky. Can I go to Australia? No, you have to pay. (laughs) Shut up. The Doctor and Sarah Jane follow the deflection barrier to one of the Egyptian urns. You would think that an alien piece of technology would be filled with gizmos and gadgets, but inside the urn is what looks like a water bottle. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. They just went to the BBC prop room and went, we can't use the big clam again, but... I'm like, I've seen those water bottles at Kmart. Yeah. I'm pretty sure Fred was walking around going, they want my water bottle. I, just, I had water here. Oh, yeah. We're using it on set, mate. We filled it with electronics. <laughs> Sutek has noticed that alien technology has been used to shut down his alien technology. Well, you know, it's a good thing because he's, besides killing, you know, his most devoted slave. Yeah. He really hasn't been doing that much. Well, basically, Scarman says that it's not possible, but, mate, people have been killed when they just say they worship Sutek. Mm. So maybe you don't want to argue with him, okay? Mm. Do you worship Sutek? Well, I sat next to him on a bus. I kill you! Yes, Yes, exactly, yes. Fabulous. I am the only person allowed to sit next to you, Sutek, on buses. Bloody hell, it was the only seat. The Hoobie gang find the poacher's hut and Sarah Jane throws a box of sweaty gelic night at the doctor's feet. (laughs) I do... Still my favourite scene. Sutek's plan is to kill everything. As Scarman puts it, only Sutek shall live. Sounds like a pretty lonely existence if you ask me. Yeah, i got to say, these people who just want to kill everybody and yeah. then they're the only ones left, what do you do then? I just, there's got to be something past that, hasn't there? Yeah. I'll kill the whole world and then they'll just be me. And then what do you do? Well, I mean, you can't get... Your electricity, you can't get your gas. <laughs> it's just Sutek float, floating in a void, being like, oh, this is great. No books. It's not a great plan. 
it's no. not a great plan at all. Yes. No, I've never understood it because what are you going to do? There's got to be something to do. I would love for Lawrence and Sutek to get together and Sutek's like, well, my plan is to kill everyone and then I'll be all by myself. And Lawrence is like, well, we're going to try and find the barrier and then get outside the barrier and then hopefully the guy has the sweaty jelly night and then go, no, your plan's worse. No, your plan's worse. No, your plan's worse. No, your plan's worse. <laughs> Don't talk to Sutek, he'll kill you. <laughs> Lawrence has finished undressing the servant ro- service robot, but there's not much inside. They've got quite big old chests, haven't yes. they? Yes, but there's, it's just empty inside. Yeah, but I, I, yeah, I just don't remember m- mummies in like the mummy from the crypt yes. having big ass chests like that. That's how you know this one's a robot because it's uh, got a big ass chest. He's been at the gym. He's a buff bagwell. <laughs> Scarman turns up and Lawrence tries to get Marcus to remember their time as boys. Oh, Lawrence, you dickhead. He just deserves Predictably, it. Predictably, Sutek's power is too strong and Lawrence is killed. But Lawrence does kind of remember him. No, uh, not Marcus, Lawrence, Marcus. Yeah, Marcus kind of remembers him. So yeah. that's what I'm wondering is like, does he actually have his memories? Well, I mean, he obviously kept nicking out, changing his tie and yeah. retying it so he knows a Windsor knot still. So who <laughs> and, knows? And one of one of the pieces of information about this episode is um, uh, it, it shows how how often they they do second takes where the guy who played Lawrence was like, actually, can we do a second take? And they were like, oh, okay, we'll do a second take because <laughs> he thought I didn't nail it the first time. Yeah, well, they didn't do that in the Ark in space. No. <sighs> yeah, it's it's interesting to watch the uh, the filmmaking of the seventies where they're like, all right, that'll do, but I tripped over it. That'll do. That'll do. <laughs> And then 20 years later, it's like, oh, that must mean something that. (laughs) I called him the wrong name. Nobody cares. Keep going. (laughs) So I don't remember if you guys watched the show Supernatural. Yeah. Mm. They had a meta episode in season six where the boys ended up being in a parallel world where Supernatural was a TV show. I do remember that. Yeah, yeah. And, and there was a line where the director goes, ah, season six, cut, move along, you know, because, <laughs> because you know, Eric Krippy originally had wanted a five-year plan, and so this was there on season six. So, yeah, that's exactly right. They're like, yeah, um, yeah, it's Doctor Who, move along, let's cut, move along, we got, we got, yeah. we're, we're burning daylight here. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. It just makes me laugh. He takes the sweaty jellic night and places it on the siren rocket, but is stopped by Scott who thinks the mummy's relay is broken. So he gives the broken robot the most important part of the rocket. (laughs) This one's broken. Here, take it over then. Here, this is very important. Give it to the broken robot. Righto. The doctor just takes the coordinates a few feet away and dumps them in the rocket before legging it out of there so Sarah Jane can shoot the Jellignite with the rifle to set it off. Another cool thing. Sarah gets to do something daring and adventurous and important. Mm. Now you you've done shooting out at the out of the farm. How was how was her uh, her holding that gun? Thought she was fairly good. Fairly okay, good. Okay. Actually, yeah, I, I wouldn't call myself much of a shot. Okay. Shot a few tins with the twenty two out on the farm and shot a snake or two. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did I did archery yesterday, and I can say she is holding that bow really wrong. Mm, mm. <laughs> However, the explosion doesn't go off. Sutek is holding it back with his mental powers. Oh, my God, Sutek. He's Sutek. on the ball with everything. Oh, you know, his muscles aren't atrophied and he doesn't have <laughs> pins and needles, no cramps, and he's got mental control. He must have been doing brain training that whole time. 7,000 years of brain training. I know. She should have just shot 15 things and then that. (laughs) Yes. 
Whilst Scarman is talking with Sutek, the doctor just waltzes in and hides behind a curtain. <laughs> I'm like, does Marcus have any peripheral vision? No, well, no, he's dead. Of course he doesn't. When the doctor is alone, he activates the time space tunnel and heads to Mars. You know, they were hiding behind the curtain works. Yeah. Because okay. last week when I was in my office and then you jumped out from behind my car, I went, well, there you go. Two days he'd been there. Yeah. I've never seen you him. You spent three days in my room before I realised you were even there. That's right. <laughs> Under the bed. Also, I think the doctor like hides behind curtains like mo- three or four times in, in the over this whole serial. Well, he's such a slender thing, isn't he? <laughs> well, and, and, and yes, and uh, I guess the thing that makes the TARDIS that's broken, right? So it, you know, that yeah. you, you could change that, right? So he has a portable circuit. one. Where you, yeah, the chameleon circuit. So he can't see. So they really, he just looks like, you know, a piece of the curtain. Though I do think you talked about being a thin thing. I do often feel for cosplayers that mm. go to a san diego in july or even dragon mm, con yeah. in august as the fourth doctor and you're like, oh yeah. yeah like can we not find a little bit and i guess it's just cold most of the time in the uk yeah. where they're filming so it doesn't because yeah. i just be in texas i was like i'd be like okay no i need to get a uniform i need to wear mm. the doctor yeah. costume that's a, like a t-shirt and jeans <laughs> Well, see, yeah. that's that's my next my next one now. The Aussie Doctor. He'll just have boardies, sunglasses yes. on his head. That'd be great. Zinc on the nose and like a t shirt. Not a, not a not a wife beater. A t shirt. Yeah, a t shirt. I love that. That is great. Yeah. And it. and our con our cons here in Brisbane are in, in the summer, basically end of the year. And so oh, when we were dying. So yeah, when when I started getting into cosplay, I, I started dressing as the tenth Doctor. And so I had the you know you got three layers of clothing. You got the shirt, you got the suit, and then you've got the jacket over the top of that. And oh my god, I would sweat so much. It was so crazy. Well, even as dressing as Jodie's Doctor, mm. the jacket, the t shirt, you know all that. I was it's stinking hot. So it's it's a bit like. I went to, I was a visitor to Texas a few years ago for work and it was really hot when we got there um, and then it turned cold Ah. and it was was a really strange change. Mm. And then suddenly I was like freezing and had to borrow other people's jackets because I was so cold. I was in Houston. In Houston, what time of year? Houston, oh, God, I wish I could remember. Okay. Everyone said it would be warm, but (laughs) it wasn't as warm. I'll have to think it through. It reminds me of when I when I went fun. to Edmonton, Canada, a few years ago for work, and uh, and it was just the start of winter, and uh, and as I was leaving, I was like, well, I've got to go back to Australia. It's going to be thirty degrees because it's start of summer, and they were like, thirty degrees, that's crazy. And I was like, oh, okay, well, what temperatures does it get during winter? And they were like, oh, you know, negative thirty. And I was like, oh my god, that's yeah. crazy. <laughs> I just remember everybody that I talked to, and I was there for two weeks, was so nice. Mm. Just so nice. I never, ever ate breakfast on my own. Someone would always <laughs> come and sit down. You're from Australia. Hey, hey. Exactly, like, yes. Very friendly. The doctor says hello to Sutek, distracting him enough so that the rocket is destroyed by the explosion. Oh, uh, then that's, I mean, no one has said hello to Sutek yeah, in a very a, long time. That's why he was so surprised. I was like, like hello. She's like, what? You can see it in his mask. He's like, what? What? <laughs> hello? Sutek uses his green eye powers to hurt the doctor and threatens to keep him alive for centuries as punishment. I did not like this 
bit. I don't like it when the doctor's not in control. Yeah. As a kid, I remember being really, really worried about how this was going to go. But I was thinking about the curtain, hiding behind the curtains, reminds me of that scene in The Life of Brian when the Romans come looking for Brian and everybody hides, but they just like put a tea towel on their head and all of that. It's really (laughs) shitty hiding. So Sutek can control things with his mind, never ages, and has a data retrieval system, which is basically the internet. Sounds like my ideal life. (laughs) I don't know why he wants to get out of the pyramid. Yeah, I mean, he would never get RSI because he'd be gaming with his mind. Yes. Game with my mind. Absolutely, I agree. Right there with you. Uh, Scarman has found Sarah Jane and Sutex decides to keep her alive to torment the Doctor. Oh, thank God for that! So instead of being killed, Sarah Jane is just dumped on the floor. Yes. This is the bit of the story where, I don't know, it doesn't work for me. I think they could have ended it sooner. Yeah, well, but I, I suppose, like, they needed Sutek to do something because he's basically just been sitting in a chair for, like, three episodes. Yeah, but he's got a very long... Scary face. Yeah. I well but I imagine I imagine the Gabriel Wolf who played Sutek, uh well actually I don't know if he played the the actual actor he did the voice, but the filming must have been easy because they were like, all right, put this helmet on, sit in that chair, and then uh, the only thing you'll ever need to do is stand up slightly, all right? Yeah, and that's all right because the hand of Sutek will hold the cushion <laughs> for you as you get up. The rogue hand, yeah. Even as a 10-year-old, I saw the hand. <laughs> it's kind of like what you imagine if they had the Muppets and they, they ripped the yeah. puppet off and it's like, oh, no, you could see the hand. <laughs> I'm nude. The hand that operates Sutek. I just think there's a better way they could have done it and then the bit where Sarah gets caught and it's, you know, if you tell the truth and you always lie. I don't know. Oh, yeah. I just yeah. think that could, it felt like they were just filling in time. No, I'm right there with you. It did seem a little strange, but, you know, I go back to they have to stretch this episode, right? Like, yeah. what is the certain amount of time they're going to do that? So, yeah, I, I'm a little forgiving, but I'm right there with you. It does seem not the smartest storyline. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Right there with you. It's like you always say, Nakia, like these episodes aren't designed to be sat down and watched one after the other like no. like we like we can yes. do now. Mm. They're designed right. to be watched watched week after week and you have you have your 30 minutes of Doctor Who. So you want it to keep going. You want yeah. stuff to happen because you're like true. I want that 30 minutes and then you wait a week for another 30 minutes. You yeah, know? and a lot yeah. of those sorts of shows were serialised like that, yeah. so you were like, next week. Sutek tells Scarman to bring the TARDIS to Mars, but the Doctor says the controls are isomorphic and will only work for him, even though we've seen the Master steal the TARDIS multiple times. I have always been confused. I love Doctor Who, but the mm. canon on whether the TARDIS is isomorphic or not, it just it doesn't work. Nissa used to be able to move the TARDIS around. Yeah. Clara has. Rose has. I I mean, Rose. Some has, of, some she of the novels say it. that the TARDIS has to bond with the 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 driver. Yeah. And we have Russell T Davies saying that it needs six or seven people, people to drive it. You know, yes. River can do it. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose it only really matters if you're doing a Doctor Who podcast and getting really <laughs> pedantic about it, like we do. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. I feel sorry for the first person who said, I'm going to write up all the Doctor Who canons so it all makes sense. <laughs> and at some point went, what? It doesn't make any sense. 
Sutek bends the doctor to his will so he, Sarah Jane, and Marcus can take the TARDIS to Mars. The service robot strangles the doctor, but he survives due to his respiratory bypass system. Well, thank God for that. And thank God he didn't kill Sarah either. Yeah. I shall yeah. punish you with her. Let's leave her alone. I, I thought it was like a convenient thing, but I looked it up and it's like actually been in other episodes. Yeah. So, yeah, it was quite good that, mm. they, you know, they have a, they already have a thing. Yeah, they kind of set that established. Yes. Yeah. Mm. And it makes him more alien other than just the two hearts thing, you know? Yeah. Right. Uh, the Doctor and Sarah Jane follow Scarman and the service robot into the pyramid of puzzles. The first yeah. is to open a door by waving your hands in the right pattern. Yeah. The second room has a button that will electrocute you, so you have to find a button hidden behind a secret compartment. Kind of remind me a little bit of if you've ever seen the five doctors mm. and they have to get into the tomb of Rassilon and it's got, you know, puzzles yeah. and, and things to stop you all the way. And It feels more like a video game. Like you go through different rooms and have to solve a puzzle to get into yeah, the next sort of. room. Yeah, I agree. Mm. Uh, the third room involves matching two sets of puzzles to each other or the floor will explode. Although I have no idea how the doctor solves the puzzle using his scarf to measure distance. No. That makes no sense. I, I don't know, but you aren't a time lord. So <laughs> what would you I'm know so sorry. if you'd gone to the University of Gallifrey like Jesse and I? You would understand yeah. all about the scarf. <laughs> Well, you have to understand, right, that the scarf is the uh, Swiss Army knife of, yes, you know, yeah. things. So it could do, it, you know, like Capaldi had the sonic uh, shades. The scarf is multiple uses that he can do. So, yes. Yeah. I mean, he trips people with it. He draws fire with it. He sure. measures puzzles. There's multiple times in this episode where to- they show Tom Baker walking around, and I'm like, I'm surprised he doesn't trip over it all the time. Oh, yeah. Because it's like, it's like right, right down on the ground, like near his legs. And I'm like, man, I would be, I would be falling over all the time on that. I wonder if he did. Uh, you must have got used to it. I mean, he kept going, so either he likes falling over or he got used to it because yeah. he went for seven years. If they'd had time, I'm sure the last two rooms would be a magic eye puzzle and a Sudoku. Ah, I love that. Yes. Uh, I hate those magic eye things. I can never see them. I cannot either. No, I can't oh, either. Jesse, do you do what I do and eventually go, oh, yeah, I see. It's a <laughs> ship. I lie like a cheap rug. Oh, yeah, yeah, I see that. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I love how it's like, all right, unfocus your eyes so that you, you know, you're not staring at it. Oh, what, how I normally see things? Sure, sure. Yeah, I. Some people just see it straight away, but no. Scarman reaches the final door where he has to make the sign of the eye, which just looks like a bit of yoga, really. <laughs> He's like, namaste. I'd like to have seen him do a downward dog. <laughs> well, he kind of does. He has his arms down there. Yes. And now now into child pose. Very good. Oh, uh, Horace, uh, how should we uh, trap the last door? Oh, make the sign of the eye. Oh, you mean the thing that we all know as a sirens? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Let's make it the thing that that well, Sutek definitely knows. Yeah, why, why don't we pick something Sutek doesn't know? Don't be ridiculous. It's like trying to keep something from a Whovian and being like, what's the final puzzle? Oh, uh, you have to sing the Doctor Who theme. Don't you think that's a little too easy? No, they'll never know. However, the Doctor is caught in a previous room when Sarah Jane gets stuck in a Tecatron Crucible. Yeah, she looks like she's uh, in the uh, Get Smart. Yes. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What is it? The Silence. Uh, the cone of silence. Cone of yes. silence. Yeah. Or or uh, the uh, the phone booth that he has to go in <laughs> to, to get in at the start. <laughs> do, do, do. 
Uh, no idea why Scarman didn't have to deal with that. Mm. Well, no, because he did the downward dog, the warrior pose. Oh, right, yeah. sure. Yeah, and a child pose on the way out, and then he greeted the sun. <laughs> uh, the doctor must solve a very ancient riddle, apparently older than humanity, seeing as Horace said it thousands of years ago. Yes. For my generation, this puzzle was made famous in the Jim Henson movie Labyrinth. It certainly was. Yeah, that's how I remember it. Me too. Well said. Yeah, mm. one guard can only lie and the other can only tell the truth. He asks one guard what the other guard would say if he asked him and finds out the right switch. Yeah, every time I watch it, I go, oh, that makes perfect sense. And mm. then I try and think about it afterwards and go, uh, who do you ask? Yeah. What, what did they say? It's like, if I ask the other guy what the other guy would say on the other guy, then what they would, like, oh, it breaks my brain. Uh, you know what I'd do? What? I'd go, bye, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll come collect you once I've dealt oh, with her. Uh... it's good knowing you. <laughs> I'll have other companions, honey. Off you go. Scarman finds the Eye of Horus, a giant red gem in a white plant. It is guarded by one of Horus's robots. You can tell they're different because Horus's robots have gold on them. I know. And I think that as the arch villain, you do want to have some sort of bling. You know, you don't want your servants having the bling because they'll they'll get up and get opinions exactly. of themselves. Yeah. 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 Well said. Yeah. Next thing you know, they're like, oh, well, ours is wearing a tiara. Oh, well, you're out. Yeah. Uh, make sure you put some gold on it. I don't want mine to look like Sutex robots, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I don't want it to be common. Common robot. As the robots dance in the background, Scarman turns into a jackal and destroys the eye. They're just like, bop, bop, yeah. bop. <laughs> it is like the worst. It's like a, I would call that the country boy dance. Yes, the country yes. boy stiff back with the arms just moving a little bit. <laughs> Sutek is free and with the help of a rogue arm in his chair, stands up and becomes a jackal. <laughs> I always thought that the arm was there yeah. to help him stand up because his head, his mask was so heavy. But I just read that it was to hold the cushion so ah, it didn't, didn't stick see. to his bum. He's been sitting there all day. You don't want to get up as a god and have like a cushion stuck to your backside. It's almost like the hand is going to be like, Ta-da! Ta-da! Yes, I like that. Uh, I can't cushion stuck to my bum. I'll hold it, I'll hold it. <laughs> the Doctor rushes back to Earth in the TARDIS, reaching it before Sutek due to the delay in radio waves. The Doctor manipulates a time-space corridor, causing temporal feedback that traps Sutek for thousands of years until he dies. He's very cross, isn't he? Yeah, well, he's killed everybody, so... Well, that's right. He's got... I mean, he had a very loyal, like, lineage of followers. He yeah. killed them. Killed Scarman or turned him into a jackal. <laughs> I, so where is he gone? He's stuck in that that uh, time corridor, the but time then he corridor. shoots it forwards thousands of years. So well, basically- then shouldn't he be happy because now he's on his own? Yeah, you know he was already going to kill everybody and yeah. be on his own, on his own. But I imagine it's like. Bit of peace and quiet. Because time is accelerating for him, he says something to the doctor and then like thousands of years later, the doctor sends a response and he's like, oh my God, I waited so long for that response. And it wasn't even hello. 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 The doctor stumbles, causing the time-space corridor to start burning. Sarah Jane remembers that the Priory was burnt to the ground before being turned into Unit HQ. I like that. So the Hubie gang make their escape in the TARDIS. I love that little callback to yeah. to the unit and, you know, the Priory burning and, you know, there is no one left really to mm. give a, a toss yeah. about what happens. But I th- And I think that the, t- the tunnel, the time tunnel, mm. 
That's pretty good special effects. Yeah, it's pretty. For the, for when the, the when the coordinates come through, like mm. you know, when the doctor cut the, the the jackal comes through, I think I think it's it's really good special effects mm. for the time. Yeah. I agree. I remember as a kid going to look up the, who those gods were, you mm. know, Sutek and, and that sort of stuff, but it didn't really match with the Doctor Who episode. But yeah. there'd often be things in Doctor Who that I would think, oh, I've got to know that, and I'd go to our school library. which I went to a tiny little school, so we didn't have many books, but I'd try to then find out about it. And uh, I remember sitting there watching Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, that show one day, and I think I answered five questions in a row, and they were all things I learned from watching Doctor Who <laughs> as a kid. So <laughs> every wasn't that a book? Everything I learned, you know, from uh, that I needed in life was from Doctor Who. So yeah. there yeah. we go. There we go. Yes, I, I always say that half uh, most of the things that I learned about America, I learned from The Simpsons. So that was my that was my thing, you know. Well, that's probably right. I'm trying to think, what was my first American TV show? And I don't know. Maybe Knight Rider, so I learnt nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone has a car that talks to them. (laughs) Uh, Greatest American hero, I would think. Everyone has a suit that makes them super powered. (laughs) And and they lost the instruction manual. Believe it or not. Yes. Everyone in America is going, who's got the instruction manual? I don't have (laughs) to. Yes. All right. Is there anything else that anyone would like to mention about Pyramids of Mars? It was a fun, it was a fun episode, and I just want to say that applaud Bravo rewriting the whole episode so that yeah. uh, we we have this fun take on it. I love this the idea that there is a sense of affection, but also a sense of we're not taking ourselves too serious. So. Well done. I, oh, I, I am I, I, I am now looking forward to going back to old his episodes and enjoying that discussion. So yes, absolutely. <laughs> it's it's always good, I think, to have just to remind you as you go through, but yeah. but it it's the absurdity of things mm. in yes. Doctor Who, in Star Trek, you know, in anything like that, where you go, mm. Well what what were they thinking and why do they want to do that? Honest, honestly, I think it's I, – I kind of think it's part of the reason why we love Doctor Who is that it doesn't take itself so seriously. Like, mm-hmm. like sure, we go through and we're, we're going like, oh, but in this episode it was like this. Doctor Who doesn't care. It's just like it, it, it'll bring out something and it'll be like, oh, yes, that's alien technology. Whereas Star Wars and, and Star Trek are trying to be like, oh, this works because of this and this happens and blah, blah, blah. And with Doctor Who is just like, no, no, it goes – it really does go on that Asimov prin- principle that a- any – superior technology appears as magic to people who don't understand it, you know. But I would always I would always say that Star Trek, from what I've watched, like Next Generation, Voyager, Enterprise, whatever, mm, mm. they are more hard more hard science yeah, yeah. than Doctor yes, Who. Doctor Who is kind of sci- science fantasy. Yeah. I so agree. when you're watching, say, Next Generation and, and something happens and they explain it, you go, okay, I can, I can get that. Whereas you know that sometimes I love Doctor Who, but sometimes you watch it and you go, "How did that happen?" I have no idea. Yeah, but we just we just go with it and go on. But I, I think I, I feel like it's part of the reason why we love Doctor oh, Who. Oh, I think I think it is. Yeah, I feel like the new se- the new seasons uh, have episodes, you know, where where there is quite light hearted and that kind of is a callback to the, the fact that you know they had to make it a bit light because they were kind of winking with the audience being like we know this is a bit cheesy but we're just gonna do it anyway it's gonna be you'll enjoy it don't worry just go with us you know yeah i mean jody's got you know i'll need salt 
a, a lemon and the yes. spit of a of a ball, you know. And yeah. Yes, it's it's silly and, and lovely, and yeah. and I love that about it. But even uh, growing up as a, in with the classics, they did put more hard. I think more hard science in it because there were certainly things I learnt that I wouldn't have known yeah. otherwise. But you know, I just I loved uh, I love just love seeing Sarah Jane again. Yeah, I do remember I was at work. My husband rang me. He said, are you sitting down? And I oh. went, I went, oh, no, what, why? And I sat down and he went, Elizabeth Sladen died. And I cried, mm, yes. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And him, not being a Hoovian, my husband would hear the music and run out of the room as a kid, <laughs> knew sure. how, how sad I would be over yeah. that. It's, yeah. it's just weird, isn't it? Because you don't know these people. Yeah, no. And yet. You feel, you feel a you connection feel with them, connection, you know, yeah. through, their, through their art and, and what they do. And yeah. Mm. Absolutely, yeah. All right. As we always like to do, we like to give the score an episode out of five, one being the worst, five being the best. Nakia, would you like to go first? I am going to give this a 4.5. A four would have been what I was going to give it, Mm. and then it's got to have a half a point for how much I loved it as a kid and I couldn't wait for the last episodes and it was shown, and I believe there was a weekend in between, so I was nearly busting a gut. So I loved it. So 4.5 from me. Jesse? So I'm going to give four out of five organs, uh, you know, uh, scary <laughs> organ chords. Uh, this was a really great episode, and it's so much fun. It is, you're mm. great to see the doctor in all his snarkiness, and he's you know, being smart, seeing Sarah Jane, working with him. So yeah, I, I just a truly, it is one of the classics of the, of the mm. it, it is one of the best of the classic eras and, and absolutely wonderful. And I was so glad you guys invited me on to watch it. Oh, thank, oh, thank you. you for joining us. I, I, I agree. Four, four out of five for me as well. It reminds me of like, we did the Ark in Space. I gave that a four out of five. And I was like, do I like this as much as the Ark in Space? And yeah, I do. I feel like, Perhaps there is a little bit more padding in the Pyramid of Mars, but I feel like the puzzle pyramid is probably the the worst of it. Yeah. But, you know, there's a lot to like about it. There's there's really interesting characters and it's got that lightheartedness. But then at the end, when you realize like everyone except for the Doctor and Sarah Jane dies. Yes. The poacher dies. The brothers die. But the poacher's not very clever. The friend dies. You know, I kind of like the poacher. He's like, oh, holy moly. The guy who who cycled by died. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Everyone, like, so it's it's got quite high stakes, basically. Mm. Guy who came to tune the organ died. Everyone died. For a guy who just sits in a chair for the four episodes, like, Sutek is quite uh, foreboding, you know. Yeah. So four four out of five for me as well. Yeah, I remember being very scared that he was going to get loose. <laughs> yes. Uh, so we ask everyone who comes on our podcast. Does Mary get in the car? Does Mary get in the bloody car? <laughs> no, 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 no. Does Mary get in the TARDIS? <laughs> yes. What would your Time Lord name be? So the thing is the Doctor chose the Doctor because his intention or his essence is to do no harm, help Adam's Time Lord name. I'm the nerd. Okay, he's the nerd because he'll pick out little things as we go through and I'll go, oh, for goodness sake. And he does gaming and stuff. I don't get that. My family gave me mine. I'm the commander because apparently <laughs> I'm a little bossy. <laughs> uh, and so we've had all sorts of things. We've had uh, the decent, mm-hmm. the awkward charmer, the weirdo. Yep. But it's really what is a word that you think sums up who you are and when we go on adventure, 
what you would bring to the TARDIS team. Yep. So as you guys have seen, I tend to tell a lot of stories. So for a while there, I was doing Small Council Matters, and we were doing a Game of Thrones podcast. And uh, we gave ourselves names. And I said, you know, like the Master of Coin. Or, you know, oh, yeah. they, you know, and I was um, master of rainbow, sunshine, and happiness. <laughs> and in fact, we had a graphic artist who was part of this, and he made us each a signal, you know, a, a, you know, a, a, a crest, you know. Oh, yeah. cool. Mine was a TARDIS with a rainbow behind it. Oh, oh. I like that. So I, I think, you know, that... Like the orator or the... Yeah, I, yeah, I think, I yeah. think, you know, I think some, I think it would be... Um, the storyteller? Yeah, the storyteller. I think so. I think that, I think I would be the storyteller. I absolutely agree. That would be perfect. Yeah. Okay, we've got that one. Now, I'm going to ask a second question, follow up. We turn up in the TARDIS, we get out, there's the nerd, the commander and the storyteller. What are you bringing to the adventure? So I think one of the things that I bring to the table is a ability to accept things the way they are. Mm. Okay. One of my favorite stories is my wife, and we've been married over 35 years. She said the first three or four years we were dating and we were married – I thought you were, in, excuse the bluntness, you were just too stupid to worry. <laughs> you, you, just, you never worried. I was just like, he's just too stupid to know we should be worried. <laughs> and and she learned, instead I learned very quickly that you do not waste energy on worrying about something you can't control. What is the, you know, here's what we're going, here are the different options, let's come up with a plan and then move forward. That is, that's a superpower, Jesse, that's a superpower. Yeah, and I think that would be my, that's what I would bring to the team. And also, I, I would have the guy, I would be, you know, Graham, I would have snacks. Right, like, hey, I don't know how I don't know how often the doctor's going to let us eat, so my backpack's going to have some dried fruit and, and some, yeah. you know, some, some, maybe some, you know, beef jerky and, and everything, just yeah. in case. Like, we we may need yeah. to eat a little or something, a couple of power bars, and and you'll be able to calmly tell them stories that will show them where they're wrong and have a moral, mm, yeah, and maybe throw in a Springsteen lyric or two. Yes, that's yeah. it. Perfect. And one of the things I do is, and it's very egotistical on my part, but I, I firmly believe, and I know this is unrealistic, but I often feel like, you know, Adam and Nikki, that if if I can just get two people in a room and mm. talk to them and have them talk to each other, I believe mm. that we can resolve any conflict, that I think most conflicts come sure. from non-communication. Now, yep. in today's political climate, that's probably unrealistic, yeah. but I, I do feel that's what I would bring in to the TARDIS. And I'll tell you what, I would love to go on an adventure with you three with you this would be oh, a blast we would love that we would it would be fantastic it and would i'm be wearing fun. I, i'm wearing really good you know i'm wearing merrells i'm wearing really good hiking shoes right and you know and, and i'm dressed in layers because you never know like right you're yes. just, yeah exactly very true yes you're my favorite you're my favorite person because you've got the snacks i love the idea that you get out and you're like you know what? These six tentacles on this creature over here remind me of the Bruce Springsteen time. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Right. And, and I go, Jesse, while it's strangling me, what Bruce Springsteen bloody song are you thinking of yeah. now? Exactly. Yes. 
<laughs> oh, All right. Thank you so much for joining us, Jesse. Thank you very much. Now, people want to uh, to catch what what you've got going on. Where, where can they where can they catch that? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Jesse Jackson DFW. Uh, you can find the show at Set Lusting Bruce. The show name Set Lusting Bruce is because Bruce Springsteen changes his set list when he is performing live fairly often, mm. and so that when people are following on social media. Instead of set listing, they start set lusting because like, oh, I can't believe he's doing this song and when I could have seen him. (laughs) So that's where the show came from. Um, Yeah. So if you do look up set listing, Bruce, anywhere on podcast, you can hear. And I am I am up to over 700 episodes. I've had people from all over the world, uh, from New Zealand, Australia. I've had Russia. I've had all over the UK, Canada, the U.S., um, I have the Dutch Courtney Cox that was on. She, uh, yeah, wow. they actually, yeah, that was actually on. And I've actually been uh, lucky enough to have uh, Maureen Van Zant, who is little Steven's wife, who played his wife oh. on The Sopranos. She's been yeah. on the show twice. Wow. Then my Doctor Who podcast with Charles Thugs is Next Stop Everywhere, where we go through, and we are similar to you. Our episodes run anywhere from an hour to 45 minutes. I mean, you know, yeah. we, you know, we go through, we tend to do themes. Like, you know, yeah. what are the different things of the show? And then uh, one of the things that Charles does really well is he always either does reverse the polarity or reverse reverse the polarity. <laughs> <laughs> if, he, if he does a modern episode, he talks about a classic who that if you like this, watch this. And if mm. it's a classic episode he'll mention a modern episode oh, that's to a watch good on idea. there yeah and Very so cool. that's absolutely so yeah and um so set like i said at twitter at jesse jackson dfw would love to hear from you you do not have to love bruce springsteen join the podcast and the other thing we do adam and nikki is i do b-side episodes so like adam okay. if you said i want to join you and let's just talk david bowie I just yeah. want to tell you yeah. about how I found him, what I did him. We would, I would love an episode like that. So if you're passionate oh, about awesome. any band, totally. any you musician, should. yeah, join me and we'll be glad to visit. Oh, that'd be awesome. Mm. You can catch the hosts on Facebook at Nakia Shoot Comedy and Adam O'Sullivan Comedian. D4WH is on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. The podcast is available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and many more. Nakia also hosts Neighbourhood Watching with Beck and Nick, looking at the weird and wacky neighbours just over the back fence, available where all podcasts are. Adam regularly works with Big Fork Theatre in Brisbane. You can find him in some of the online shows on the Big Fork YouTube channel and also has sketches in the Get It In Ya podcast. If you enjoyed D4WH, please consider jumping onto our Patreon and donating. We release episodes early and... For as little as $5 a month, we release mini-episodes in between our normal episodes. D4WH is part of the Nerd Infinite, which can be found at thenerdinfinite.com. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. And please, please check out uh, those podcasts. We had a great time um, talking music on Set Lusting Bruce. Yep, uh, and yeah. we'll put some, some links up. And yeah, one of the good things about doing the podcast was that we got to talk about all sorts of music, mm. which I really enjoyed. Don't talk about music enough, I don't think. No, no. I listen I listen to music pretty much all the time. I don't think there's ever a day where I'm not listening to music. So it's good to, to talk about it as well. So Don't please, have a soundtrack to your life. Please check out those podcasts. One of my favorite stories is from New Zealand. Yeah. I had a, uh, I had Adam is a young man whose mom was hit by a car when she was expecting him. 
And so Adam was born very, very severe disabilities. And he was three years old and had never spoken, never made a sound. And she was in the car driving and a Bruce Springsteen sing song came on the radio and he started nodding to the music and she she went home and she started playing every Bruce Springsteen song. Um, As of two or three years ago, Adam was 12, fully can speak, can write, can read. And it's all from Bruce Springsteen music. Bruce Springsteen lyrics were his sight words. He would watch, uh, you know, videos of the, you know, concerts and he would read the words. That's how he learned to read. That's how he learned to speak. And uh, I asked his wife, his his mom's name was Jamie. And I asked Jamie, I said, do you feel like Adam was happy? And she says, as his mom, I hope he was. But the reality is, I think until he got Bruce Springsteen's music, he was not happy. And I said, Mm -hmm. so not only did Bruce's music give him literally his voice, but she brought joy into his life. And she goes, Mm -hmm. absolutely. And then she was from New Zealand. And so a few years ago, when Bruce toured New Zealand, um, Adam was able to go to the show, meet Bruce. And oh, actually amazing. was, but actually was actually more excited about meeting Bruce's guitar tech Kevin, and, <laughs> and, and, and they they actually gave um, Adam a guitar. That's what a beautiful. beautiful story. I think as a as a as a singer songwriter, that is probably like the highest praise you know someone like Bruce Springsteen. Well, can get, and I know. always think if you're not touched by music, yeah, you must exactly. have a heart of stone. Really? Well, and I absolutely, and I, I get frustrated with love in my heart, but when, when someone will go, well, I just wouldn't be a good guest on your show because I just don't, I don't care that much about music. And I'm like, well, first, why do you have no soul? <laughs> yes. you, no, you probably wouldn't be a good guest. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah. I find it weird. I mean, as I say, I have a mother who just finds it to be noise. But yeah. and then I had a father who sang, played, loved it. I always find it weird, but yeah. anyway, yeah, I don't understand right. it. Music's great. All right, thank you very much, Jesse. It's been a pleasure having you. Thank you. Uh, Bye, listeners. Time. Thank you. Until Bye. next time, keep searching the skies for the Doctor. Goodbye. I'm just making the sign of horror. Oh yes, <laughs> downward dog. <laughs> Bye. This has been a production of the, the Nerd Infinite, and then the sound of dragons spitting fire and stuff. What? Why are you looking at me like that?